Greetings and welcome. You're listening to the Genesis Podcast, the official podcast of the Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. It is our goal to inspire one another to change the world by effectively living in the way of Jesus. Check out our website, thegenesisstory.com. There, you can learn more about us, where and when we meet, ways to invest and support, but most importantly, how to get connected. Thank you for spending time with us today. Good morning again. Thank you guys for being here. Thank you for tuning in, those who are tuning in live and those who will watch later. We appreciate you being here. We're going to pause and we're going to pray. This morning I'm going to be talking about God is, but we'll, we'll get into it later, what God is or maybe what God isn't or maybe a little bit of both of that. But before we start, let's pause. I don't know how this week has affected you, all the news, all the things that are happening, the things that are happening far away, or maybe the things that are happening close to you in proximity to you. But I know that there is repeatedly a need for myself, and I, I would imagine all of us, to be able to stop the hamster wheel in our minds that just keeps churning and churning and churning about everything and about nothing and recalibrate so that God is a part of all of that. And that's what we want to allow to happen here this morning is a recalibration that is an invitation for us to be open to God and all that that means and how that affects our lives and the things that we experience and go through. So let's be open to that, even through the music that Randy is going to be sharing with us. It's an opportunity for us to, again, have focus, to allow the words, the melodies to engage us and to be intentional with our involvement with them. So let's pray. Father, at this time, we do want to give attention to your spirit's work within our lives. We want to be open to hear and to question and to lean into what your voice sounds like today in our world, in our circles, and to allow that influence to affect us in ways that produce life. Thank you for an opportunity for us to gather together. We are grateful once again to be here, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things uh, before I get started. Remember last year we uh, participated in Foothill Family Shelter's uh, stockings for the kids. Uh, we want to do that again this year. Right now they have a list of, I think, 36 kids. And so we would like to supply stockings for 
those kids. We will get the information on the kids' names. We've got little ornaments that we're going to label with the kids' names, and then they will tell us, like, the age of the kid and some more information so that we can fill the stockings appropriately. Or you can just give money towards the stocking, and we will buy the gifts necessary. We recommend $35 to $40 per stocking, Um, and we did all of them last year. They, uh, you know, asked us how many we could do. And we just said, I think we started at like 15, but we ended up doing like 40. Um, and so this year we just kind of said, give us all of them. Um, and so I'm sharing that with you because we need you to participate in this. Um, we will have, again, names for you later on. Um, Brianna is going to fill the stockings up and put them all together and we'll give you more information as it gets closer to that. Uh, we'll probably be doing that uh, through November and then distributing them the first part of December or sometime before Christmas. So I just want to make you aware that we are going to give the stockings to the kids at Foothill Family Shelter. Again, 35 to $40, and we're looking about 36, I think, kids now, um, but it could go up if they get more families that come in. So that's one of the things that we wanted to share. Another thing is, again, I want to take time to say thank you. Thank you for those of you who come and drop your checks off in the mail slot. Thank you for those who continue to give online. In 2 Corinthians 9, 7, in the New Living Translation, it says, each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And again, we don't want to make anything because we are compelling you to do it, but we are thankful that you do do it. And we are here because of that. And I want to take the time to say again, thank you. And you can give to us online or you can mail it to us. Uh, if you go to thegenesisstory.com, you can see all the ways that you can give there. And so thank you again for that. This morning, I want to talk how God is more than either or. And that's the title of the talk. I'm gonna talk to you guys about video games, about the encyclopedia of biblical difficulties, about trauma, let's make a deal, and a dream. I have an addiction. I just wanted to pause so everyone could be thinking, what? I'm addicted to some video games. I will play them late at night. You can talk to my wife about it. It probably, she said, yes, he does. I, at the end of the day, it's my way of just checking out. But the problem is I don't just check out for a few minutes. I can check out for hours and just sit there and play these games. And one of the things that happens in these games is to advance in the game, you need different things. And so you can get money by watching advertisements. And so I get the most random advertisements in there. I, I'm advertising for Ebony Magazine. It's like, I don't know how I got targeted for that. One was for cashmere clothing, and I, I, they got me. I clicked on it, and the pants that were of interest to me were $3,500. Again, they're targeting the wrong person, right? I'm watching video ads so I can get stuff for free in this game. And then the other day, I got multiple ads for Israel and support of Israel. 
And it wasn't asking me for money. It wasn't asking me to sign. All it was was showing some of the atrocities that happened when Hamas came and attacked them. And it was just asking me for this support. And I thought, how interesting that I'm getting an advertisement on a game just asking me to side with them. And and I don't know who's in your social feed, but I've got a variety of people in mind. And I'm getting social media bombardments on both sides of things. I'm getting bombardments from people who are Jewish and who are showing the atrocities that happened to them about, you know, the children and about the kidnapped people that are there. And I'm getting social media posts on the other side about a Christian family who lived in Palestine who was killed at the Greek Orthodox Church. Yes, there's a Christian church in Palestine in Gaza. And I'm constantly getting these things, and it's like I have this either or. And we get pushed towards that all the time. You're either for Israel or you're for Palestine. You're either a Democrat or you're a Republican. You're either pro-vax or anti-vax. It's either you're a saint or you're an ain't. Right? And this idea of thinking constantly being pushed to choose one side or the other. And the more extreme we make the other side, the more easily easy it is to rally people to our point, right? If I can make them seem more evil or even label them like the Hutus did with the Tutsis in Rwanda, they called them cockroaches because you don't mind killing cockroaches. And if we can label a group of people something less than human, it makes it easier for us to bring harm to them. And ultimately, it's an us versus them. And the more we vilify, the easier it is to separate it. And I think we do this with God as well, maybe not knowing it as, as much, but we, we do see it. And I would see it in my social feeds as well. You know, you've got those who are on a predestination Calvinist side, you know, and they'll quote John 15, I have chosen you. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Then you'll have people on the Armenia side or the choice side in John 3.16, whoever believes shall be saved. God so loved the world that whoever calls on him, right? It's like, so you can do this or you can do that. It's one or the other. And the crazy thing is, It's John, the same author, who's saying both of these things, right? And it's not like he forgot what he said earlier. He's intentionally saying these things that lead us into these different directions. And I believe it's intentional. Years ago, when I started studying the Bible, I came across some difficult places in scripture, and I needed some help understanding it. You know, I'm just this new follower of Jesus, and I'm reading things that I don't get, and it seems weird to me. And so I found the the Encyclopedia of Biblical Difficulties. And I bought this book to answer these few questions I have. And then I found out there were a lot more questions than I had. It's a big book. It's like, man, I had no idea there was this many problems in here. 
And what do they do is they take these areas where there's a contradiction or these passages where there's a problem and they try to iron them out so that everything just flows easily and together. And so you have stories like where Abraham is going to God and interceding, basically bargaining with God for the people in Sodom saying, will you kill and destroy this city, if there are 50 righteous, and God says, no, I won't. What if there's this many? Will, will the God of the universe kill, destroy the righteous with the unrighteous? What if there's only 10? Will you do that? And God says, I won't even do it if there's 10. I, I, he's not going to destroy the righteous with the unrighteous, which is an interesting story that God is being talked to by a man to have mercy. But then what do you do in 1 Samuel chapter 15, where it says this? This is what the Lord of armies said. Well, that's an interesting title. I witnessed what the Amalekites did to the Israelites when they opposed them along the way as they were coming out of Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and completely destroy everything they have. Do not spare them. Kill men and women, infants, and nursing babies, oxen, and sheep, camels, and donkeys. Whoa. What happened to God who was gracious, who was abounding in mercy and slow to anger? What happened to God who would not destroy the righteous with the wicked? What's going on here? And and some of the answers to try and smooth these things out are almost comical. I had heard one thing, and I don't know if I heard it or I read it, that the reason God told them to wipe everyone out was because the Amalekites were so evil that they were possessed demonically by evil spirits. And that even nursing babies? And what with the animals? Are they possessed too? Now, like cats, I could understand, right? I mean, I've seen some of those videos, but sheep? What's going on, right? And, and to make it palatable, we try to smooth things out by saying things that just aren't there. But that's what we find in scripture. God is the God of armies and he's also a peacemaker, right? He's the, the one who inclined and heard my cry and he's the God who is deaf to my cries. He is unchanging, yet he repents. Are these contradictions or are these writings grasping for expression of things that we can't understand? Are the metaphors right or wrong? Or is the truth of God that which creates the need for the metaphor in the beginning? Listening to different speakers talking about what's happening in the Middle East. And everyone wanting to make it palatable and simple. And then it comes to this biblical prophecy kind of a thing where it's like, well, this is what God's doing and this is what's gonna happen and this is all planned. And it it just, the way it's presented seems like this is a, a ticket out of the conversation because this is what God's going to do and, you know, this is going to happen. And I'm not going to go down that road right now. But trying to make Israel the fig tree just because you think it works 
in chapter 24 of Matthew, but you don't make it the fig tree in chapter 21 of Matthew when it doesn't work for you, shows kind of what's going on. I think sometimes our need for understanding blinds us to seeing. When I was 14 years old, I was living in Hollywood with my brother. My parents had just sold their house in our house in Hollywood and moved to Santa Monica, and I wanted to finish my ninth grade year in Hollywood. And so the last part of the year, I stayed with my brother. He was 18. That was a mistake. Um, (laughs) There's some stories there. But anyway, I lived with him. And then when I finally graduated the ninth grade, we took a vacation, a family vacation to Hawaii for two weeks. And we traveled the different islands there in Hawaii. And it was an incredible time, incredible vacation. My brother and I stayed in our own room and we got to charge everything to our room. My brother was 18, which is legally you're able to drink at 18. And I was 14, and so I was with my brother, so I was illegally able to drink with my brother, and we just were having the best time. And, and one time in on the big island, we were heading to a hotel in Kona, and as we were driving there, there was this incredible beach. I mean, it was just postcard perfect. It was like these you know, palm trees, and it was this volcanic rock on both sides and this beautiful sandy beach and, of course, Hawaiian blue water, and the waves were big and crashing, and we were like, let's stop, let's enjoy this. And I brought my fins with me because I wanted to go body surfing in Hawaii, and so I got my fins on, and we went out there, and I used to, you know, body surf the wedge down in Newport, so I I could body surf. And so I'd get my, you know, fins on, and I'd get out in the water, i make it out there, and it was, it, was, it was hard getting out there, but I finally get out there and I catch my first wave. And this is a lot different than the waves in Newport. It's a lot bigger. And I catch this wave and I'm catching this wave. And the next thing I know, I'm in the air. There's no more water underneath me. I'm just doing, you know, cartwheels in the air, fall, hit the water again. But I don't just hit the water. The wave crashes on me and just plows me into the bottom and then drags me down. And I'm just like stunned. And, and I get up and I was like, wow, what happened? And I, I pause for a moment. I go, I better get out there. But he who hesitates is lost. And as I start going back out there, another wave comes and crashes on me again. And I'm again, pummeled and I'm doing, you know, somersaults underneath the water. And I'm, you know, wondering which way is up. And I lose one of my fins and I don't know what's going on. And, and I get up and and I think, I need to get out. I, I better get out. And so I start trying to get out. But the water is like Moana. It's like calling me back. It's like, no, you won't. Come here. And it's calling me back. And again, another wave hits me. And now I'm starting to panic because I'm just getting pummeled by this wave over and over again. And I finally make it back out because I think it's easier to get out than it is to get in. And I finally just get some rest, and I'm going to take this wave in, and I know it's going to kill me, but I'm just going to get out and keep going, right? My brother was in the water, too. He brought, a, a, like, a mask, you know, to look at the fish, and he, the mask was gone. My brother was, I don't know where. He was the same situation I was in. Finally caught the wave in, tumbled, pummeled, got rid of my fin, and just ran for my life to get to the shore and finally made it. You see, I thought I knew the water, but I didn't know the water. 
it was different there than it was in Newport. And it was traumatizing, you know, where you're there underwater and you're like, okay, which way is up? And I only got so much air. Am I going to surface? Where am I going? Because I had no control. I couldn't swim up. I didn't know which way was up. And one of the things with trauma is what happens with trauma is our reactions include exhaustion. That got me. Anxiety and agitation. Yep. Numbness. I didn't know what was going on. And confusion. Bingo. That was all me, right? The experience I had was more than my human frailty could endure. It was overwhelming. I didn't know how to process what was going. And so the survival instincts kicked in. It's like, I just got to survive. And I don't know what's going on. I'm disoriented. I I have a hard time understanding that. And, And I think an encounter with God is traumatic. I mean, think of scripture. Think of when they encountered God. They, they fell on their face. They were his one who was dead. Jacob has a dream and he wakes up and he says, God was here and I didn't know it. And it says that he was afraid. We want God to be understandable. And so we reduce God to something that we could understand. I, I want the waves to be manageable. But when I get into water that is more than I can manage. I don't know how to deal with it. And I think that is a more clear picture of God. In our need to make things understandable, we kind of put God in a couple of categories. One is God is anonymous, where creation declares the glory of God. And so God is out there but he's kind of hiding behind the scenes. We see the handiwork that he's done through creation. There's this glimpse that we have of God. He's, he's there, but he's not quite clear. And then we have this revelation of God where God reveals himself like in Jesus. And First John where it says, that which we have seen and heard and our hands have handled concerning the word of truth. Word became flesh, dwelt among us. Here's a a clear revelation of God. But what if there is another category? I don't know if you guys remember the TV show, Let's Make a Deal with Bob Barker, where he would call these contestants down and they would have, you want to get this, you know, vacuum cleaner. Or... Take what's behind the curtain. Oh, I'm going to go for the curtain. Oh, okay, now you've got your choice between the vacuum cleaner and, you know, a sofa. You can take one of those or go what's behind door number three. And there was these three choices that you could have. You know, which one are you? It was always leading you. Have this or this or there's something else. What if there's another category? What if God is not just anonymous and God is just is not just revealed. What if there is an excess of God? What if God is the water we are swimming in or drowning in? That he's as near as the air in our lungs or in the atmosphere. That the pressure 
of the presence of God is more than we can fathom. And when there's an encounter of it, 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 it can't be figured out. And so we use words like the God of armies and the God of peace. And we, we have these different descriptions and metaphors because it's more than we can contain. And it's not either or, it's more. That's why the Psalms sing about not being able to speak. Why Paul says the spirit intercedes with us with groanings that cannot be uttered. How can you sing about what can't be said? It's all I have. That contradiction more clearly captures what's the experience and what's happening in this encounter with what's bigger than my ability to fathom. When the infinite comes into the finite, there's an explosion. And trying to contain that so it doesn't explode, trying to to get an encyclopedia of biblical difficulties, we end up reducing God to our abilities. And it becomes like us. And then even Jesus brings us to places that are confusing. You have to drink my blood and eat my body. You know, what if you were following Jesus and you wanted to find out how he does things? Jesus is healing people. How does he, oh, he lays hands on someone and you're taking notes. Okay, lay hands on. And he says, you know, whatever he says, you know, be healed, you know, or it says your sins are forgiven you. Okay, so that's the secret. You do this, but then this person, he just says, go your way. Your faith has made you whole. Oh, your faith has made you whole. Okay, so laying hands, your sins are forgiveness. Your, your faith has made you whole. And then he spits in the ground and spits enough to make mud and puts it on someone's eyes. It's like, throw the notebook away. I give up, man. What is it gonna be? I can't figure this out. And unless you hate your father or mother or sister or brother, you can't be my disciple. But didn't you say we're to love one another? Now you're telling me to hate these people? What are you doing? Why aren't you making this easy? Why do you speak to them in parables? If your eye offends you, pluck it out. What? In our attempts to understand and know God, We have to resist reducing God to our understanding. And that's not easy because that's our default. There's good, there's bad. There's heaven, there's hell. These are the good guys, these are the bad guys. This party is right, this party is wrong. And by doing that and by having this mentality, we are missing so much of the picture. When Moses encountered God in the burning bush, he asked, what's your name? Who am I gonna say sent me? And again, the reason the name is important, we talked about that in Exodus, is because the name has with it the power, it has the legacy. And God says, well, I am who I am, but other translations I can be, the becoming one, or some rabbis actually say, I shall be there however I shall be there. In other words, I will show up how I show up. 
What kind of answer is that? Can't you just say John? Can't you just say Yahweh? Can't you say Jehovah, this is my name? What kind of answer is I'll show up how I show up? What about Jacob when he's wrestling with God and he finally realizes it's God and he says, I'm not gonna let you go until you tell me your name. God says, why do you wanna know my name? And God doesn't tell him his name. He renames Jacob. That's his answer. What's your name? No, your name is now this. You see, you need to be different to understand who I am. Who you are isn't enough to comprehend what I am. You need to change so that you can see me more clearly and you still can't see me. Can you live with that? When God is revealed, it first reveals the ignorance of what we know. When God opens our eyes, it opens our eyes to our blindness. Paul had to become blind in order to see. That's intentional. Where you're living, you don't see things correctly. Let me blind you because you need to be blind to what you're seeing in order to see something else. How do we deal with this tension of the two, of wanting God to be on our side and those who don't believe in God like us to be on the other side? I forget who it was who said that, you know you've made God in your own image when God hates all the same people you do. How do we get past this either or mentality? Peter Owens tells about a parable that his friend told him when he, his friend was leaving a church, the church. And he said, I I had a dream. The dream, I, I died and I went to heaven. And I was standing there at the gates and St. Peter was there and, and St. Peter opened the gates and said, welcome, come on in, come into the, the kingdom. And as he's getting ready to walk in, he turns around and he sees his friends. Some of them were atheists. Some of them were Muslims. Some of them, God knows what. And he turns back to Peter and he says, what about them? And Peter looks at him and says, well, you know the rules. You know the rules. And he looks back at his friends and he starts thinking of Jesus, who was an outcast, who was called a bastard, a drunkard, a friend of sinners. And he looks back to Peter and he says, you know, I'm just going to stay with them. And then a smile breaks on Peter's face. He says, at last, you get it. There is the identification of drawing into. See, Mother Teresa said, if I am going to be a saint, 
I am going to be a saint of darkness and I will be absent from heaven so that I can be a light to those who aren't yet there. We think that to end the violence, we just need to obliterate the enemy. But we're not obliterating the evil. See, when you get a Mother Teresa, she's not attacking a system. She's attacking what is there in front of her, the evil that is there. And she is being more vicious towards what is evil than attacking people by attacking the evil with good. It's how Martin Luther King could bring the change that he brought. It wasn't, we're gonna just you know cause riots and we're gonna cause these uprisings. No, we are going to expose the evil by doing what is right. That's a violence against the evil itself. So instead of this is right, this is wrong, they found a third way to kind of intercede for those who had no voice. I think that our lives need to be interrupted from this either or need to figure things out to be aware of what we're being fed by our news sources that keeps us hearing one side and vilifying the other. And if your feed is like mine, you're getting both these sides and you're saying, what's going on here? Maybe I need to fight the injustice of humanity on both sides. Maybe I I need an explosion of where God is in both these areas. Maybe... There's more to understand than what I'm being told, what I'm being seen. Maybe I I don't need to see God differently. Maybe my name needs to be changed. Maybe I need to understand differently. Maybe it's me that is unable to grasp hold of what's happening because I think I see. Maybe I need to be blind so I can see differently. Well, this should provoke some good conversation, I think, afterwards. Let's pray. Lord, Jesus said that we are to love our enemies, to bless those who abuse us, those who would persecute us, God, I don't know how to do that. I am rustling and need a new name. May I have a a heart that is bigger than my understanding. May I be willing to step into the places that are are difficult and combative and tense to cause a war against the violence, against the abuse, against the dehumanizing of people. 
the same time, may I call evil evil? May I not be blind to injustice? May I call it out and may I seek to restore what is good? I don't know how to do that either. God, I feel like you are calling us to a different kind of war. You are causing us to see and understand the world differently. So that like Mother Teresa, we can be a light in a dark place. That doesn't make sense. What are you doing here? And understand that, well, this is where God is. This is what God is doing. And he's given me a new name so I can do it. God, give us that name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. May our experience of God be as traumatic as Paul's journey to Damascus. May we be so disoriented that we see through our blindness that God is more than either or. God bless you guys. Have a great week. You've been listening to the official podcast of Genesis Community Church in Upland, California. If you've been encouraged, found hope, been challenged by what you've heard, we'd like to ask you to help spread the word by sharing our podcast with your friends and family. You can also help support our podcast by visiting us at thegenesisstory.com. It has been our pleasure to have you join us today, and we hope you'll tune in again next week.